Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Friday, April 16. I'm Tom Tilley, joined by Jan Fran. Hey, Jan. Hey, Tom. Today on the show, are we witnessing another big flashpoint for the Black Lives Matter protests? Yeah, remember when George Floyd was killed by a police officer last year? It sparked that massive wave of protests around the world, including here in Australia. Well, now this week, in a very dramatic confluence of events, right at the same time as that former officer responsible for George Floyd's death is being tried for murder, another black man has been shot dead by police just 10 miles down the road in the same city. We've seen curfews in place. We've seen the police uh, firing tear gas, arresting people. It has not been pretty on the streets. Yeah, you'll find out how Americans are reacting to that shooting. And from just down the road, you'll get the latest from the Derek Chauvin trial as well. They're arguing in this case that Chauvin was assaulting George Floyd when he died. So they don't have to prove any kind of premeditation or intention in that case. You'll hear from that New York Times reporter on the ground in Minneapolis in today's briefing. First, here are the big news stories of today. Overseas travel with home quarantine. The Prime Minister has given a sense of how travel may resume as vaccinations continue around the world. Yeah, he was speaking on 6PR Perth yesterday and he said that initially Australians would be allowed to travel for things like business uh, and funerals and then they'd return home via quarantine. But he did warn that if travel resumes too quickly, we could see as many as 1,000 new COVID cases a week. If we were to lift the borders and people were to come, then you would see those cases increase and Australians would have to become used to dealing with 1,000 cases a week or more. Yeah, and he went on to say that we wouldn't want that, basically. So a little bit of hope, but then always, as with COVID in any announcement, there's always a little bit of, um, you know, a warning as well. I do wonder where he got that figure from, 1,000 cases a week. Could be a lot more, couldn't it? Yeah, well, it could be, more, it could be a lot less. We don't know. I mean, we, we do need to get specifics of who would be allowed to come into Australia and what their cases mm. are and what the variants are. So there's a lot of things at play before you can really understand how it would impact Australia. I do think a lot of people like to hear those little slithers of hope, though. I know Mm. I do. No timeline, of course, much like the vaccines, which I imagine will be a much more pressing issue than overseas travel when the National Cabinet meet again on Monday. Well, health authorities are investigating the death of a 48-year-old woman from New South Wales who developed blood clots after receiving a COVID-19 vaccine. According to Nine News, um, they have a source inside the health department that say the woman did take the AstraZeneca vaccine, but more tests are basically being carried out to confirm whether there's any link between the vaccine and her death. Yeah, so roughly 1.35 million people have received vaccine doses in Australia to date. Now, this is the third known case of blood clots uh, developing after people have taken the vaccine. The last case was also a woman in her 40s who was vaccinated in WA. And before that, it was a 44-year-old Victorian man. Now, both of them are still alive. Um, The federal government, though, said that last week it was no longer recommending that people under 50 years of age get the AstraZeneca vaccine. Instead, They're recommending that they take the Pfizer vaccine, um, which we've ordered an extra 20 million doses of that are set to arrive by the end of the year. Fingers and toes crossed that they do. Yeah, very sad news about that woman, but it is good to know that out of 1.3 million cases, there's been three cases of blood clots, which is a lower rate than we've seen overseas. Yeah, and that's something that's, that's worth remembering. I know headlines can be a little bit scary, but at the end of the day, the Blood clots remain very, very low comparative to the overall number of people receiving vaccines. 
And the Australian Defence Force is preparing to pull out all of our troops from Afghanistan by September 11. Yeah, US President Joe Biden announced this week that US troops would be withdrawn on the 20th anniversary of the September 11 attacks in New York and Washington, and that the PM Scott Morrison is also withdrawing Aussie troops as well. This day, we dedicate to their memories, we think of their families, their friends, the life they would have lived. But they gave that for others they did not know. That was the PM there, sounding very emotional. Some real empathy and emotion there from the PM. Yeah. Professor of International Security and Intelligence Studies at the ANU, John Blacksland, um, he's told the ABC that the 20-year conflict should serve as a reminder to be a bit cautious about entering another war again. We need to be very clear about why we're doing it, what the mandate is from the Australian people, what the risks are, what the strategy is for success, and then having a very clear plan to do so with conviction and to do so with a determination to be successful. Yeah, there's been so much debate about the the purpose and the scope of this war, and it's always a hard debate to have because I can't help but think of the guys that, you know, some of them, 41, sacrificed their lives, and so many of them made many other sacrifices by going and fighting for a war that lots of Australians didn't support. That's right. And I think we will be examining our legacy in Afghanistan in the years and decades to come. I mean, it's cost taxpayers more than $8 billion, I think $1.3 trillion overall, up to 40,000 Afghan people dead, depending on um, whose numbers you believe, but thereabouts. And of course, there are always the issues that withdrawing could create a power vacuum in the country and that the Taliban could seize power. It's a very regressive regime. It could set progress back by years, if not decades. And you do have experts that are saying it's not the right time to withdraw for those reasons. So Mm. it's actually a very complicated situation. But, you know, we've been in there for two decades now. So if not now, when? And the Duke of Edinburgh's funeral details have been released by Buckingham Palace. Um, The Prince's four children will walk alongside his coffin at his funeral taking place this Saturday. Yeah, his grandsons, William and Harry, will also be part of the funeral procession. Uh, Prince Philip actually helped design the hearse, which is a modified Land Rover, which is pretty cute. Good for him. He's, he's getting ahead of his own funeral preparations. That's the way. Uh, the guest list for the service at Windsor's uh, St George Chapel includes 30 people. This is, of course, reduced because of COVID in the UK. Um, German relatives will be invited. We did tell you yesterday that the Queen will probably have to sit alone due to pandemic restrictions as well. Yeah, the tabloids, of course, are sort of honing in on the William Harry thing. Apparently they're going to be separated. Not sure if it's because of the (laughs) the, the so-called feud or because of COVID. Yeah, COVID's a good cover for the feud, though, (laughs) anyway, isn't it? So it's it's worked out in some very morbid way. Um, If you do want to catch it, it's happening 3pm Saturday in the UK, so... Late Saturday night, early Sunday morning, our time, depending what state you're in. Is it going to be on TV? That's actually a good point. I don't know. It's just good to know when it is. It's just just good to know when it is. Yeah. And the ABC has apologised over footage of a dance troupe that performed at the commissioning of a Navy ship this week. A 101 dance squadron was invited to perform in front of HMAS Supply. Yep. Good tune. Um, <laughs> footage of the performance went viral, though, largely due to the fact that it appeared as if some of the dignitaries there were just a little bit unimpressed with the dancing. So this became a massive story and it was being debated all over Talkback Radio yesterday. Um, there were concerns that the style of the dancing, twerking, was not the right look for the Navy, who had had a bunch of sexual assault scandals in its history. Um, but then the story became about the ABC's 
story or portrayal of the story. And it turned out that they edited in pictures of the Governor-General, David Hurley, and also um, Angus Houston, the head of defence. Who weren't actually there. At that time. At that time, yeah. And it's had a massively negative impact on the dancers as well. I mean, the group released a statement saying that they had been under personal attack on all social media platforms and that they now felt unsafe. And they didn't do anything wrong. It's just their job. They got booked to do a job. They did the job. They got stitched up. Well, the idea is that, you know, this Navy base is down near Woolloomooloo in Sydney and these are just local dancers. So they're engaging with the local community and it's become this massive furor. Um, Here's what Scott Morrison said in response to it. Well, I'm disappointed that this um, event was so misreported. I think that was disrespectful to the performers. Uh, to suggest there were a, the Governor-General or others were in attendance there in that way, I, I think was very dishonest. And I think uh, standards have failed. Yeah, well, Scott Morrison doesn't need another excuse to sink the boot into the ABC, but here it is. Um, the national broadcaster did say in a statement that the video should not have been edited in that way and that they apologised to the Governor-General and the Chief of Navy and viewers, but I noted that they didn't apologise to the dancers, which I think they probably should have apologised to first. All right, we're going to cross to Minnesota right now. there has been a series of protests in the US city of Minneapolis. Hundreds of demonstrators clashed with police who fired tear gas into the crowd. And in the first three days of protests, more than 100 people have been arrested and parts of the state are under an evening curfew. These protests were sparked by the death of 20-year-old Dante Wright, who was shot on Sunday by a police officer during a traffic stop. What you just heard there was now former police officer Kim Potter threatening to tase Mr Wright. Seconds later, she's seen pulling out her gun and fatally shooting him. She's been charged with second-degree manslaughter. My heart is literally broken into a thousand pieces and I don't know what to do or what to say. That is Dante Wright's mother. Now, apart from the tragic loss of life of Dante Wright, what makes this death Even more intense is that it happened just 16 kilometres down the road from the trial of Derek Chauvin, who's the police officer, former officer, accused of murdering black man George Floyd last year. Yeah, now that was the death that sparked massive Black Lives Matter protests um, starting in Minneapolis and spreading around the US and the world, including here in Australia. So how are these two police killings in Minnesota playing into each other? And what's happened in the Derek Chauvin murder trial so far? Well, let's find out with Shyla Dewan. She's a New York Times reporter who covers criminal justice, policing and incarceration. Um, she has been in the courtroom watching yet another day's evidence in the Derek Chauvin trial, which is about to finish its third week. Shyla, how big are the protests in response to Dante Wright's killing? Well, we've now seen three nights of protests and, you know, there's it's no secret that this area is already really on tenterhooks with the Chauvin trial going on. And to have a police killing of a black man during the trial, it just really set people off. So we've seen curfews in place. We've seen the police 
uh, firing tear gas, arresting people. It has not been pretty on the streets. The police force there in this case appear to be quite decisive. The officer, Kim Potter, has resigned. So did her boss, Tim Gannon. Um, he was the man who initially said that Potter meant to use a taser but instead used a gun. The other important step is that within a few days, they charged Potter with manslaughter. So is that reaction stronger and faster than other deaths that have sparked mass protests? Yeah, I think we are seeing a recognition by the authorities that they have to really react swiftly and decisively in these cases. They are putting together a playbook that's coming from the death of George Floyd and other high-profile deaths that they hope will help them keep a lid on unrest in the streets. Shaila, Dante Wright's family, they've met with George Floyd's family to, I guess, support each other in grief. Um, In addition to the families coming together, how is the response to Dante Wright's death being impacted by the fact that Derek Chauvin's trial is happening just down the road? I mean, I just think the confluence of events is it's it's almost like astrological. Mm. You can almost not imagine a worse thing that could happen. I mean, in general, of course, it is a tragic event, but the timing of it during this very high profile trial of Derek Chauvin for in this extremely high profile killing that happened of course, there just there's so many resonances there, um, so much reverberation, and it's just contributing, I think, to residents feeling that things are not changing. They're not changing fast enough. That policing still is not there to work for them. I can imagine that the trial happening would feed a lot of energy into the protests that are happening right now. But what about the other way round? Could the protest um, in response to Dante Wright's death? be impacting the trial? And could the defence argue that it could be unfair? They actually did that right away. The first thing that happened on Monday morning after the shooting on Sunday was that the defence asked for the jury to be sequestered. He said one of the jurors lives in Brooklyn Centre, the suburb where the shooting took place. And he was afraid that the ensuing unrest in particular, not so much the shooting itself, would make jurors feel pressured to come back with a guilty verdict. Let's talk about the uh, George Floyd murder trial a little bit. Um, You've been following it there in the court in Minneapolis. It's it's been going on for a few weeks now. It Mm -hmm. started with the prosecution's case. Can you just give us an overview of what their case was? Sure. The prosecution's central piece of evidence is the video that was watched by millions around the world that showed... Derek Chauvin kneeling on George Floyd's neck. You could see the two other police officers pinning him down to the pavement. Bystanders are trying to intervene, saying, please check his pulse, get off of him. I mean, that is their case right there. Now, they presented, I think, 38 witnesses (laughs) to help them make this case. But essentially, they're saying three main things. One, that... This event hurt the entire community, not just George Floyd, but everyone who was there and saw it and beyond. Number two, they're saying that Derek Chauvin acted against policy, against training, and against what a reasonable officer would do. And number three, they're saying that his actions specifically caused Floyd's death, that it wasn't any other 
underlying conditions or anything like that, that it was the knee on the neck that caused him to die. What will they need to prove about the officer's intent? You know, that is a really good question. They have charged him in such a way that they don't really need to prove his intent. They charge him with a form of second-degree murder called unintentional murder, which is murder that occurs while you're committing another felony. So the classic example is you rob a bank, you have a gun, you shoot somebody, you didn't intend to shoot them, that was not part of the plan, but because you were already committing a bad act, robbing a bank, it's murder. They're arguing in this case that Chauvin was assaulting George Floyd when he died. Mm -hmm. So they don't have to prove any kind of premeditation or intention in that case only that he was acting in a, in a depraved and reckless manner to cause his death. Okay, in the last few days, um, Derek Chauvin's defence team has started making their case and calling witnesses. What was Chauvin's plea and what is their case? Well, Chauvin, he pled not guilty to the charges and their case, they don't actually have to make a case. It, the burden of proof is on the prosecution to show that Derek Chauvin is guilty as charged. And the defense basically just has to sow reasonable doubt in the minds of the jury. And so they have presented a case that's saying essentially that Derek Chauvin didn't cause Floyd's death, that George Floyd was suffering from heart disease, hypertension, that he was taking illicit drugs that adversely affected his system and that it's impossible to say that it was the law enforcement actions that caused him to die. Um, they've also made the argument that what Derek Chauvin did was reasonable given the unpredictability of George Floyd's actions in the situation. And they've kind of used what a lot of people have said are racial dog whistles. The other thing is that they've made tried to make the bystanders out to be have been scary and threatening and distracting to the officers. Um, and this is, of course, a crowd on the street of mostly black people. The defense has also called a witness by the name of Barry Broad, who is a former police officer and a use of force expert. Can you tell us a little bit about what he said and how that could possibly impact the trial? Barry Broad is a defense, self-defense expert, and he's testified on behalf of police officers before. And he said in this case that what Chauvin did was justified. He mm -hmm. said that what Chauvin did when he kneeled on George Floyd was not actually a use of force. He said that if George Floyd had been compliant and not resisting, he would have been resting comfortably on the pavement, even though he was face down in handcuffs. So his testimony, a lot of people viewed it as a bit incendiary. The prosecution has put on umpteen witnesses who are experts in police use of force, who have testified that kneeling on someone's neck is completely in violation of police policy and practice. Um, that it was not a reasonable thing to do. And so they've sort of tried to argue against the defense in, in advance, if you will. We asked you earlier on in the interview whether this trial will be affected by what's happening 10 miles down the road. But what about the broader Black Lives Matter movement? How, 
How has that changed attitudes in America in general and also potentially of this jury in a way that might mean this case has a different outcome than it might have several years ago? The attorney general of Minnesota, who is the first black attorney general of Minnesota himself, a black man, he has really raised the bar in terms of the effort his office has put into prosecuting this police officer. I mean, it just seems every day like there's, you know, a flock of lawyers. They've put on expert witness after expert witness. And one of the things they're trying to demonstrate is just the lengths to which they have gone to prove this case. And I think that is something new. And it's a result not only of just the shocking nature of the video, but the movement that it set off. Of course, Black Lives Matter existed before George Floyd Mm -hmm. died, but it was really reinvigorated and uh, centered in a way after his death that we had not seen before. Charlotte, where does the case go from here? A big question is whether Derek Chauvin himself will take the stand. Um, And there's been a lot of debate over legal strategy, whether that's a good idea or not. He could say something that alienated the jury or he could turn them off. You know, a previous case that I'm sure your listeners know about, the case of Justine Damon was killed by a police officer here in Minneapolis. The officer in that case did take the stand and apologized for what he had done. So we've seen a precedent for that. And I think it may be that the defense itself has not decided whether Chauvin will take the stand. Mm -hmm. And then after that, we have closing arguments on Monday The jury will go into deliberation and we don't know how long it will take for them to arrive at a verdict. That was Shyla Dewan from the New York Times. Very interesting that she reminded us of the killing of Justine Damon. Um, She was the Australian woman killed in that same city as well. So that police force has had a pretty checkered history. Also, interesting her reflections, Jan, on how the the movement around these incidents has changed it. She, She highlighted that the prosecution is throwing everything at this case and that the response from the police seems to be a lot more decisive in the wake of this latest killing of Dante Wright. All right, that is it for the Monday to Friday episodes of The Briefing. So thank you so much for listening as we bring you the news each morning. Um, Of course, there is the weekend briefing with Jamila. Jamila, who have you got on the show this week? This week, I am speaking to Benjamin Law. I've got to say, he's just one of the loveliest blokes going around. Um, He is a writer for Screen and also on the page. He is also someone who has made his own documentary series and he will be appearing at the Sydney Writers' Festival in just a couple of weeks. He writes this column for The Good Weekend magazine and in that column he makes his very famous guests, I'm talking Gloria Steinem, Matthew McConaughey kind of famous, He makes them roll a dice to decide what kind of uncomfortable topics he's going to ask them about. So he speaks to them about sex, death, money, all this stuff that we're told is not polite conversation. And so in my chat with him, that's all we're going to talk about. I've actually read that column and I've seen some of those questions like, I would not like to be asked that question. That is too personal. Uh, Thank you so much, Jamila. Looking forward to that. Um, And to you, thank you so much for listening to The Briefing. Um, We love having you for the ride and we'll catch you Monday. Listener.